Hi, everybody. This is your cousin, Brucey. And you are about to go on an excursion following your dream with our host, Robert Miller, a great podcast. And I'm looking forward to listening to I Love to Follow My Dream. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream Podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Robert Miller, and welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream Podcast. This is a podcast for all you dreamers out there. I want to help you to succeed at your dream just as I succeeded at mine. I became a rock star when I was in my 60s. As you know, every episode of this podcast begins with a song of mine that's played underneath the introduction and also at the end of the episode. This week, the song that I chose is called Yeah Yeah from the album PGS7 by my band Project Grand Slam. Why did I choose this song? Well, it's a rockin' song. I mean, it's a rockin' song. It starts the album and it gets you out of your seat. And I thought it was appropriate because my guest this week is the world's leading rock and roll biographer. Mark Bigo has written 67 rock and roll biographies. I mean, for everybody from Bruce Springsteen to Madonna to Elton John, he is rock and roll. And you're going to love hearing from this man. So, I've got a special offer for all of you. I'm going to send you a free download of Yeah Yeah. All you need to do is go to the following link. Followyourdreampodcast.com slash roadmap hyphen song. That's followyourdreampodcast.com slash roadmap hyphen song. And now, let's welcome Mark Bego to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Mark, you've done so much writing in your life. Was it always your dream to become a writer? Well, actually, I wasn't sure what I was going to become when I was in high school. So I joined the theater group and really liked that. And I came up with the idea of maybe getting into broadcasting. So when I was in a play my senior year in high school, there was a page in the local paper that said uh, that where everyone would report local news, uh, some one student had put what was going on at that high school. And we were doing this theater production and no one had volunteered for this particular task. And someone said, well, we've got to get some publicity for this play. Who's going to write this up? And someone said, Mark will do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, I'll do that. So I wrote up uh, a little piece for our play, and it came out in the local paper, 80,000 circulation paper. And there was my byline. And I thought, oh, well, that's totally cool. (laughs) I like that. And I, I kind of got this bug in my ear to go to college and study journalism, which is what I ended up doing. Where'd you go to school? I went to Central Michigan University. I'm from the Detroit area. Okay. Uh, went to high school in Bloomfield Hills, born in Pontiac. Uh, so the Motown area, like 30 miles from downtown Detroit. Studied journalism. Did you ever visit the Motown offices? That's what I want to know. Oh, yes, I have. Yes, I have. But that before little became, building? 
the little house, a That's little right. unassuming house on West Grand Boulevard and a, an amazing amount of music came out of that little house. You know, we just have to pause and talk about that for a second because it was a nondescript little house, okay? Absolutely. And they recorded, as I understand it, in the basement. Yes, they got the best acoustics there. But I don't think it was set up as a recording studio. I don't think that Barry Gordy ever put all the stuff up that you would put up in a recording studio. But somehow they got the most fabulous sound out of that little place. It's amazing. It's it's absolutely legendary what they were able to produce there. And they they would use things like, well, first of all, they would hire people like the Detroit Symphony Orchestra players. You know, so when strings came in, it wasn't, you know, just a few strings. It was the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Yet they would do things like have uh, a string of, of metal chains and clink them. You know, you hear the you hear all kinds of things utilized as percussion, whatever was was handy. They would use they would try. And they just made amazing music. So when you were growing up in Michigan, were you infused with the whole Motown sound? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I studied to be a painter and an artist as well. I tried everything, anything arts I was into. <laughs> so I would sit in my room and paint pictures when I was a teenager and listen to fabulous Motown music and know that that was coming from just down Woodward Avenue from where I was. So it was it was amazingly inspiring. So I grew up loving the Supremes, loving Gladys Knight and the Pips, Martha and the Vandellas, Temptations, loved those groups. So when I went to college and I had this journalism idea and infused with this music appreciation, I learned that if you had a record review column in the college newspaper, you got free albums. That was like <laughs> I was 17 years old, the coolest thing. Then I discovered if I wrote concert reviews, I got free concert tickets. That was even better. So one day my senior year in college, I get a phone call from ABC Records. Hi, Steely Dan is coming to your campus. Would you like to interview Steely Dan? I was like, interview Steely Dan, I love it. So I was sitting there in the interview, interviewing the group, and this light went on in my head and I thought, interview rock stars. That's what I'm going to do for a living. All right. Now, I want to show how our lives diverged, okay? Because I was not a journalism major, but I was a broadcasting major in college. I went to Boston University. And as acts came into town in Boston, I used to call up and try and get interviews. And I interviewed people like Joe Cocker. Wow. And I interviewed uh, Rod Stewart. You know, but I was a, a kid with a microphone and a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And I didn't do anything with these things, of course, but you figured out how to make a career out of this. I, I've, I've kept every cassette tape I ever did with, an, with a star of, of any, any stature. And just in case I need a quote from somewhere, I have it all. <laughs> wow, that's great. So what then moved you into doing biographies of rock stars? Well, what I did after college, I decided, oh, Manhattan is ready for me. So I moved to Manhattan from, from Michigan and started knocking on doors. And my first couple of jobs were for publishing houses. I went to Prager Books and I lasted there a month. Uh, and someone new was hired to work in that department and I was let go. So I went on to Grasset and Dunlap. And that was where things really started to happen. I became the assistant to the contracts administrator of Grosset and Dunlap Publishing. 
And I learned what publishing contracts were all about. And I learned firsthand what publishing houses were like and what their relationship with authors was like. So I was able to really, you know, get a, get a crash course in the publishing world. I left there after six months. My boss said, obviously, you do not want to type contracts for the rest of your life. I'm going to fire you and do you a favor. <laughs> you're going to get on unemployment and you're going to become a freelance writer. And I went, oh, that's an interesting idea. So I did that. I ran into my boss two years later in Central Park. And she said, what are you doing? I said, well, I've met Mary Wilson of the Supremes and she and I want to do a book. This is, we're talking 1976. So um, she said, well, we're, let's have lunch and see who we can come up with. We're, we want to do a couple paperbacks on pop artists who have TV exposure. Let's talk about some ideas. So I went to lunch with Alistair Reese, who was my boss at Grosset and Dunlap previously. And she came up with two book ideas and she said, okay. We're going to buy these two books from you. We want The Captain and Tennille and Barry Manilow. And I went off and wrote two paperback books at the same time. And I had a two-month deadline. And I cranked these books out. It was a crash course in how to write a book. Now, little paperback books, you know, are about 150 to 200 pages. So that we're not talking about war and peace here. But I learned how to write a book by doing it. Were these biographies? that you started writing? They were biographies, and they wanted specifically celebrities who had TV contacts. So it just so happened, I was doing some freelance writing in uh, Manhattan, and it was a startup magazine called 51 News Magazine. And they said, um, we're gonna have you interview this, interview this guy at his apartment. He's got his first single out and it looks like it's going somewhere. And we want you to go meet him and do a feature story. His name is Barry Manilow. And I was like, okay. Two days <laughs> later, I'm in Barry Manilow's living room with him with his dog Bagel in my lap. And I was like, oh my God, here I am right in Barry's apartment. Well, Barry's career took off huge. So by the time I got the offer to do Grosset and Dunlap's book about him, he became a big superstar. So that was very exciting to have the first book about someone who was really doing hot uh, top 10 and number one hits. This must have been after he was uh, the musical director for Bette Midler. Oh, yes. I had actually seen him on tour in the Detroit area. They were at Masonic Auditorium with Bette Midler. And Barry Manilow would come out at the after the intermission, and he would do two or three songs. But he was on stage the entire time as the pianist. So he was kind of Bette's... Uh, co-star for a lot of it. Interesting. So it was it was very exciting to see that happen to him. And it was very exciting for me to see what knowing him did for my career. So when you're asked to do a biography, are you also being given access to the person that you're writing f with or for? Or do you do this on your own? Do you research it on your own? How does that work? I had no access to these people, yet I had been in Barry Manilow's living room, and somehow I got backstage with the captain and Tennille and met them. So when I did these first two paperbacks uh, for Grasset and Dunlap, I had met the subjects of the books, though they didn't, they didn't know they were writing a book with me at the time. <laughs> they just knew I was coming to interview them or say hello to them. But all the detail that you needed to put into the book, you know, their history and where they went to school and who they knew and how they you know, became stars. How did you find this out? You just researched it? 
Well, I did research it. I would get magazine articles or newspaper interviews and clip quotes out of them and and listen to the music. And uh, at the very beginning, I was connected with a lot of the record companies because I started working for Billboard magazine as a freelance writer and Record World magazine and Cashbox. Those were the three music industry trades you really wanted to be noticed in. So my name in there, although I was paid five dollars a review at the time <laughs> so my my assignment was to interview these people or do concert reviews about these people so i found myself in hotel rooms interviewing uh barbara bain and martin landau uh, when they were doing space 1999 arthur brown who did the song fire uh <laughs> war uh, Stephanie Mills, who was a big hit on Broadway at the time, and a photographer friend of mine. And a lot of the, this is an example of a lot of things that happened to me. A photographer friend of mine in New York said to me, I've got an interview that we, I've set up. These two guys, they're going to be just really big. They live just right down the street from you in the village. We're going to go see them. I just predict they're going to be huge and you're going to really like them. They perform under the title Hall and Oates. And I met Hall and Oates before they became stars. So this was happening all the time. I had this roster of people I had interviewed and uh, or either gotten close with or started to do books with. This happened with the Doobie Brothers. I ended up with a book deal to do the first and only book on the Doobie Brothers. And I've been friends with Michael McDonald ever since, actually. Then I went on to work for CBS Records. I'll, I'll try and truncate this because there's a lot of a lot of material. I went for, to work for CBS Records. And uh, that really helped me. And while I was there, I uh, got a phone call from one of the bosses and they said, we're doing a Motown package and we want you to do the liner notes for this compilation. And I said, you know what? I've interviewed Mary Wilson of the Supremes. I bet she'd give us some quotes for it. So I started piecing things together. And this was the first example of me getting an opportunity and being able to call right out of my phone book a celebrity to get involved with it. So this this started my pattern of doing things with celebrities and and having book deals as well. I have to stop you for a moment. For some of the people that are going to be listening to this podcast, when you use the phrase liner notes, they probably have no idea what we're talking about. For those people that are just too young to know about this, when LPs came out, you know, that's where like real records <laughs> that went on a turntable, um, the album covers had on the backside usually had these things called liner notes and a writer would be assigned to write the liner notes telling you about the group or the act or their background or how the album came out. And you know what? It was part of the entire process of understanding and, and becoming fans of, of the artist because the album covers were essential to your listening pleasure. Now, all of that's gone out the window. First of all, it went to CDs, and there's no room to put any kind of thing like liner notes. And now, of course, it's all streaming, and there are no such things as liner notes on streaming. But it was a really big part of the music industry for a long time. Well, absolutely. And there is a whole echelon of people, including me, 
who, if it doesn't come on vinyl or or CD, I don't notice it very often uh, because I'm just not connected with that. I'm not a streamer. I want the liner notes. I want to know who's playing saxophone on cut three. I want to know if that's David Sanborn. I want to know all this. And that's where I got a lot of my information. You were talking about doing research. Well, of course, I'm I'm here I am writing about music stars. Well, how do you know about their music? You look at the liner notes and find out who they're playing with. Oh, this is so-and-so who was on the Beatles album. This is Billy Preston who blah, 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 blah. You know, and all this information would be there. And I started working with the record companies as well and interviewing people with the record companies because they love to talk. When I did my book about Aretha Franklin, this is kind of advancing into my career, but I was able to interview Clive Davis about her work at Ariston. Mm-hmm. I was in, I was able to interview Jerry Wexler about those fabulous songs he did at Atlantic Records with Aretha. I interviewed the people at Columbia and talked about those years that she was on their label. So I had a wealth of contacts at this point and it just kept growing. And one of the things I really wanna tell you is that I was always, you know, here I am a 20 year old kid, 25 years old, but I was always like kind of awestruck and very personable and very amenable to, oh, you don't want me to to write about that? Okay, I won't write about that. I won't ask this question you don't want me to ask. So I was, I I kind of had a reputation for Mark Bego. He's the one to go to because he'll treat your artists nice and he'll write something nice about them. I mean, not that I didn't do, you know, I hate the song on the album, uh, but but it would basically be a positive thing. Uh, So I I built a reputation like that. There's nothing wrong with that. First of all, artists have big egos. You know, we all, we all want to have nice things written about us as opposed to nasty things. And you know, what's so interesting, just to digress a little bit, one of the things that I do is I put out songs sometimes that are politically oriented. I, I dip my toe in that area just because I feel that artists have an obligation to comment about things that are happening in their world. And we've certainly had enough things to comment about in recent past. And what I found is that what people will do online, the kind of comments that people will leave online are completely different than the kind of comments that you would ever have gotten before the online world came into being. Some people are just horribly nasty and unnecessarily vicious. And there's no reason to do that. You know, I'm sure your mother brought you up by saying, if you don't have something (laughs) nice to say, don't say it. And uh, it's just a difference in attitude that I feel you find as a result of the whole internet situation. Right, right. I mean, that for that reason, I, I decline all political comment. I was out having drinks with Mickey Dolan's The Monkees one night. And he said, Mark, you go on the radio. I, I wrote a book with Mickey Dolan's. I wrote his biography. I'm a believer. So we became friends. And he said to me, he said, this was a political year of some sort. It was like 15 years ago. And he said, you know, when I'm asked on the radio, I kind of freeze, you know, to what do you think of this political thing? Or what do you think of that political thing? I said, you know, I have been asked those questions and I refuse to get into the political arena because everybody is so diametrically opposed to different opinions in the political uh, sphere of things. Why would I want to cut my audience in half? by making a comment about a politician. So I decline doing that. Well, I I know there are a lot of artists that feel exactly that way. They will not touch anything that's controversial or political. I come from a slightly different school. I mean, you know, artists going back to Dylan and and many others used to write 
songs that were very biting and very opinionated. And that's kind of what I feel artists should be doing, but that's just my opinion. No, and 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 you're as right as I am in your opinion. I'm I'm the one you you go to my books to escape from politics. <laughs> sort of, you know, it's kind of like this is a no politics zone. We don't argue about religion and we don't argue about politics. I understand completely. So tell me, you you started to get into the the rock and roll biography business. Did you have it all to yourself? I mean, is there anybody else that's anywhere close to you in this area? Well, there were a lot of people who were my contemporaries who were doing that at the time, but I've outlasted them all. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good thing. (laughs) I can't imagine anybody's got more than 67 books out there. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much have that wrapped up. I, if, if, unless I'm mistaken, I I have more titles published for a pop rock biographer than anyone else ever has. So, uh, which is which is you know a good thing uh, quantitatively. What was your favorite one to work on? Well, I, I will have to say, uh, working with Mary Wilson on Supreme Glamour was a big thrill because it was a book we talked about for 44 years and finally put it together and got it out. That one was a lot of fun. And my recent cookbook, Eat Like a Rockstar, was a lot of fun because it was something completely different. Your, your podcast is all about making goals and accomplishing your dreams. What happened was, I mean, I'm not a chef. I didn't go to cooking school. And here I am wanting to write a cookbook. Publishers were like, are you crazy? Who's going to believe you? I said, but I've got this great idea. We're gonna, I'm going to get recipes from all these rock stars. Yeah, but you can't cook. I can too cook. So I had to prove I could cook as well. So Mary Wilson and I, in 2012, put together a magazine about the, it was to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the release of the Meet the Supremes album. So I was doing this magazine with Mary and I said, I've got a couple of pages here. We need some other like magazine features. Do you have a couple recipes you could give me? And we'll do like Supreme recipes. So she gave me these recipes. I made the, made the food. I photographed the food. I saw how they laid out the pages. And all of a sudden I went, a cookbook, a rock star cookbook. That's what I'm going to do. And Mary was totally aboard for it. It took me about five years to get it together. And I found a publisher that was willing to take a chance on me. And they, they laid out exact specifics, which were easy to follow. We want 10 chapters. We want 10 recipes per chapter. We want the majority of them to be rock stars. And you can have three or your own, two or three or your own in every chapter. I was like, well, I can do that. I'm very good at instructions like that. So Mary was very helpful, but I, I also have a lot of people that I've worked with. So I went immediately to Angela Bowie, David Bowie's ex-wife, uh, Randy Jones, the cowboy from the village people. Whoops, there goes the telephone. This is what live, this is what live yeah, is all about. I should have told you to mute that. Exactly. I think that's going to be David Salador calling me. (laughs) It's usually good for three rings. I'm sorry, everyone, about the phone, but I still have a landline. (laughs) You are unique in that regard. That's our, that's my publicist and ours, David Salador. So tell us, Um, you were telling us about some of the people that submitted resume, uh, recipes. I went, went back to Michael McDonald of the Doobie Brothers, got Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis of the Fifth Dimension, because I've interviewed them for Us magazine. Tanya Tucker, I'd known for a long time. 
all these people, I was able to put them together in one book and it had nothing to do with their music or their, I had short biographies, like one paragraph biographies on everyone, but it really was a whole new arena for me. And it was kind of a challenge where I was dared by publishers. Oh, you can't do this. You'll never pull this off. Well, yes, I can. I'm going to show you. And it became a huge top 10 book for me. And oh, it actually, it just came out in paperback recently. It was so successful and it logged in at number two on Amazon. Yay. So I'm in the top 10 again. And of course I got Mary Wilson to write the intro to it. So that she was my good luck charm has been my good luck charm all these years. So I was able to involve all of my friends and do something challenging that I wanted to do. How did you come to know Mary Wilson and, and tell us about your relationship there? Well, I was in, I was uh, reviewing concerts, as I mentioned, for Record World, Billboard, and Cashbox. Mary and the Supremes were, in 1975, going to be up in Rochester, New York. So, I, as I mentioned, I was going to earn $5 for this review. I rented a car. I got a hotel room. <laughs> I bought the tickets to the show. I got up there. I interviewed Mary Wilson in the afternoon, and I said, I really want to do a book about you. Have you ever considered doing a book? I just worked for Grosset and Dunlap. I just left that company about six months ago. I'd love to do a Supremes book. She said, okay, we're going to do it. So we started working together, putting things together. We couldn't seem to get anything off the ground because in the 70s, the Supremes were so 1960s that people wanted more current things. So the project got put on hold. Then Dreamgirls opened up on Broadway. Went with Mary to see Dreamgirls. It was like, oh my God, this is the Supreme story. So all of a sudden there was all this interest in, in the Supremes and Motown and because of Dreamgirls. An agent got a hold of Mary's secretary and said, I want to talk to you about doing a book. So Mary said, well, you go out to lunch with him and check it out and see if this is a real deal. So it was, we signed with the publishers. Mary came to New York, we went around to the publishers. She told incredible stories, some not so flattering about Diana Ross, which I loved, <laughs> never liked that woman. And so they said, well, can we see a full outline? So I put the outline together and Mary said, oh, I know I said this about Diana, but I can't say that in the book. I can't, no, we don't put this in the print. So she ended up watering it down so much that it wasn't working that way at that time. So the agent said to me, why don't you, Mark, go find someone that you think is going to be really big within the next year, and we'll get you a book deal about that. I said, well, I'm sitting here at CBS Records. This Michael Jackson album called Thriller, they are putting a fortune behind it. This is going to be a huge album. We found a publisher willing to take my Michael Jackson book. It came out the week that he caught his hair on fire doing the Pepsi commercials, I sold 8 million copies in seven languages. All of a sudden, Mark Bigo was on the map. Did you have anything to do with the hair on fire? Not that... with his hair on fire. I don't care what anyone says. That was a heck of a promotional event, let me tell you. <laughs> that blow dart gun with the flaming torches. <laughs> so that put me on the map. Well, then Mary had the interest from St. Martin's Press they wanted her, they wanted her book, they wanted all the material that I'd put together with her, but they wanted their own writer. 
So I was left out of that deal. Not I'm Mary apologized that I, I, I've got to do this book. They want to have their writer. I will have you involved. And she made good her promise. So I was thanked in both books. I was mentioned in both books uh, that she did uh, Dream Girl, My Life is a Supreme. And the second one, Supreme Faith, Someday We'll Be Together. So I was in both of those and involved in the, both of those. But it still was not the book I wanted to do with her. But so that that became Supreme Glamour. What was the difference? What was Supreme Glamour? And why was that the, the book you wanted to do? Well, it's a book. It, what happened was that appreciation for the Supremes and the fads and fashions of the 60s. You know, it's like everything that was that happened last year, though, that's old news. But if it happened 20 years ago, oh, my God, that's great nostalgia. <laughs> exactly. So the perspective changes on everything. And that's what happened. And Mary had started touring her gowns. The Supreme gowns were elaborate pieces of work. Uh, and there were art. I mean, so many people took time putting all those little beads on and sewing all this stuff together. All these museums around the world have costume exhibits and an appreciation of costumes. Well, these were just stellar costumes that the public had incredible memories about, whether it was seeing the Supremes in this dress on the Ed Sullivan show or in concert. So the dresses became as famous or, you know, became a famous part of the Supremes as well. So Mary was in London and she went for the Motown Broadway musical opening, ran into a publisher there, told him about her fashion collection. They flipped. They went, all right, we want a book that tells the Supreme story, but is a coffee table book that shows all these elaborate fashions. Do you know someone you could work with? And Mary said, Mark Bego. And that's how it happened. You know, you, you talk about the, uh, the outfits that they wore. I, I was not as much into the outfits as I was into the music. But I have a distinct memory of these sequin gowns that they wore on the Ed Sullivan show. And the, the hair was, you know, plastered in place. Oh, yeah. And the gowns were like, had them constricted. It, it, it was a different kind of a view. Okay. It was very formal, but it was so Supremes. Oh, absolutely. And Mary would tell me, and, and I've, I've had, I felt them. Those things will they would weigh 30 pounds. Those were all glass beads. You're you're you know carrying around a full tray of glasses on your body. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable how, how much work went into those. I'm always curious, how did she get along with Florence Ballard, the other member of the Supremes? Oh, she loved Florence. They were best buddies. I mean, they started out together. They formed the group together and they invited Diana Ross to join. And really? Diana Ross hogged the spotlight and took over the whole show for as long as she could. Uh, and I was so happy in the 70s when the Supremes continued with Mary because the excitement of the Supremes for me was Mary, was the music, was the look, the choreography, the dresses, everything. I love the Supremes. And I love that Mary was able to carry on the Supremes till the, the late 70s and then carried on the glamour of the Supremes in her own solo career. That's terrific. So, Which I helped her. With. <laughs> it was like, well, I ended up being her road manager, her stage manager, her publicist, uh, her best friend, her confidant, her co-writer. We did everything together. Wow. I just love, love, love Mary. That's that's terrific. Mark, you know, this is a, um, a, a podcast about following your dream. 
and about trying to inspire and motivate people to follow their dream. And so many people just never get to the point of following their dream as you have done. So I always ask my guests, what advice would you give for those dreamers out there, the ones that have a dream, but have just not pursued it for whatever reason? I'm going to quote Mary Wilson. Mary Wilson said to me and said in in her books, dreams will come true if you don't stop dreaming. Don't give up your vision for what you want because you never know when you're going to get the opportunity. And my career has been living proof of this. I can imagine. What's next for you? Well, I'm working with Frida Payne, the singer of Band of Gold, who was one of Mary's best friends. And she and I are doing a book. Oh, my God. She's had affairs with all these all these people. I mean, an amazing, an amazing story. She's worked with Sinatra, Jerry Lewis, Bob Hope. She has appeared on Broadway. She was Leslie Ogham's understudy for a hallelujah baby she's uh headlined it just everywhere and she's an absolute doll and i'm loving working with her and that book is going to come out this fall naturally entitled band of gold number 68 exactly (laughs) (laughs) all right that sounds great i want to thank my guest mark bigo for being on the show mark is a celebrity rock and roll biographer 67 books 68th on the way. Unbelievable. You've been listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. I'm your host, Robert Miller. Remember, you can get your complimentary dream roadmap, my five-step method to helping you to succeed at your dream. Just go to followyourdreampodcast.com slash dreamroadmap. And if you'd like to email me, I would be happy to get your emails at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And all of my music is available at projectgrandslam.com and the pgsstore.com. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And now I'm going to play for you, Yeah, Yeah. This song is on the album PGS7 by my band, Project Grand Slam. It was released in 2019. I grew up on the rock and roll of the British invasion bands of the 1960s. And although I started out my recording career in contemporary jazz on each new album, I've been moving more and more towards my rock and roll roots. Yeah, yeah, really continues this trend. And I also like to start off each album with a get out of your seat kind of song. And that's what this song was for PGS7. I hope you like it. Thanks for listening. See you all next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.